0: So this morning, I want to, we have been walking with Sven for quite a while now and his testimony is quite extraordinary and I'm going to cry, he might cry and maybe others will cry, that's exciting, (laughs) that I won't be the only one. But I want to, the reason that this is so important to us is that Sven has, for me, has pictured a reality of following Christ that his story, which you'll hear in a minute, is, is just a, an amazing picture to say that God breaks into our life and he changes our situations. So I'm going to let him speak and I just want to ask that you guys give him some grace. He comes from a, a very different world to the church world that we most of us will have grown up in. So if some things slip through the Keeper, we apologise, but we will try our best to make sure that those don't happen. But I just want you to, to listen and, and hear where he's coming from. So Svenny, I'm going to let you go, and I will ask questions along the way, but you just, you just go wherever you feel to start. If you get stuck, it's okay. This is not a prim and proper play. It doesn't have to be smooth. It, we're just going to be raw and real and explain, explain what happened. So
1: take it away. Um, Well, I guess I'll start from the start. um, I grew up in New Zealand. Um, We we grew up on farms in New Zealand. And um, I think we had a really good child. Um, My mum was really good. She brought us up on her own. And my dad kind of wasn't really there, so... But mum done a pretty good job. So... I've kind of been... Being led today to actually go quite deep into my testimony for years. Um, I think I was about eight years old when when I was tampered with by a family member and by other groups of the community. But we thought that was normal. Um, I think I was, I was pretty sure I was about eight. And we walked into a friend's house and they had por- pornos and that running. And and they led us to think that that was a normal thing. So we didn't think anything bad from it, which led to other things, which only two people have ever heard this, apart from now you guys. Um, So it's pretty cool.
0: Geez, I I just wrapped it, didn't I? Can you? Thanks. Did you have any brothers and sisters?
1: Um, Yeah, I've got, I've got, um, two older sisters and a younger brother.
0: Okay, and they were involved
1: in the same upbringing, in the same
0: sort of stuff no, that was taking place? Um,
1: no, we all kind of had separate separate upbringings. Like, our family was in a, a little housing commission house, and all around us we had um, gang members pretty much all around us. So... I got mixed up with their kids more than my brother and my sisters because um, we're all about the same age. So yeah, we, we all grew up in the same house but had quite different lives. Sort of thing. Um, and then at the age of 11, I found alcohol. <laughs> so after school and that, We'd go up the shop, write our little note, because you used to write a note to get cigarettes for your parents. And we used to write these little notes, get cigarettes, go to footy training, have a few beers afterwards that were stolen from one of our friends' houses out of the fridge. So I kind of got introduced to um, sex and alcohol quite young. Um, And school started going downhill. The only thing I really enjoyed was playing football, and um, and I done really well at that. But my social life kind of took over, so I didn't. I got got to play for Bay of Plenty Colts, um, and then I walked off the field and had enough. Just went back and started hanging out with what you call gang members and everything, gang members and that, and started searching for a home um, and obviously that didn't go very well <laughs> um, yeah so I carried on got into a lot of trouble hurt a lot of people and the violence was pretty, pretty full on um, I, I was well known for stabbing people um, so I wrecked a lot of lives you know, along the way um, and then I think I was about 21 where I was facing a long term in jail and it was over a family argument um, and I really hurt hurt my grandparents my grandmother was scared of me um, which she means a lot a lot to me, and to know that I scared her, and I didn't get a chance to apologise to her for it before she died, um, it's real hard for me to let go. But I decided to come to Australia to see if I can get away from it. So I came. I came over. My mum had already moved over here, and I was doing really well. Um, got a job straight away. Um, I met a girl got married had a baby decided to get into security because I wanted to look after people and help people and um, and that was going really well and then I got into the nightclubs and service which started off really well uh, I started off in some pretty seedy clubs underworld clubs which I won't really go into but ended up mixing with a whole heap of different bikies and underworld figures. Um, And then, all of a sudden, I found myself back in that life, hanging out with bikies, going out for rides on bikes, going into town for coffees, you know, and going for rides and parties. And it was all... That was what the club life was. It was just all fun, meeting new people, having parties obviously getting in a bit of trouble every now and then as we go along, standing up for ourselves. Mm. Um, so I, I I honestly thought it could be different, and um, so I joined up with a club. And um, once, once I joined, I was actually a single dad at the time because my partner couldn't handle it. And I actually brought my daughter up as I was nomming through the club, um, which is pretty unheard of. And um, the deeper I got into it, the more trouble I started getting to. I ended up in jail um, for a short time. I came back out, realised, you know, I've been in the club for a couple of years, and realised, what am I doing? So I turned around and, and oh, there's three of us that actually, that actually um, three of us that actually for the first time in the club's history got a handshake to leave. And so I chose my family and, and the partner I was with at the time, which is Shalisa's mum, to actually leave and, and, and be a, a person, be a dad. Um, so that that started off all, all good. Got a few death threats, and obvi- obviously people weren't happy about it. But I stayed on the coast, um, and then our relationship broke down a little bit, um, and so I got back into into the drug scene, cocaine, cocaine mainly and started partying at home, got depression, which I didn't know I had. And um, depression's a real big thing for guys because we we can't admit that there's something wrong with us. And not knowing what was going on either was really hard until uh, an actual friend of mine from the club that we're still friends today came and slapped me and said, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know. He said, I can't get up. And when I get up, I just party, and then I go back to sleep. And so he took me to his doctor. um, And we're still friends today. And and then I started getting medication for depression and started coming back, but the drugs had already taken hold, and we went down this real path of hanging out with drug cooks and making them do stuff for me, and I wasn't even in the club then. Um and then it, it grabbed hold and all of a sudden I just went I well, made a mate of mine from the phone shop turned around and started talking to me about about God and I went, hmm, I might have a crack at this so we actually went to church down at Burley and I actually got married to Shalise's mum through the church and we, we were like that for about a year. And it was not long after we were married, a friend of ours came along and said, oh, why don't you enjoy your, your wedding night? And gave my partner some gear. And I kind of went, oh, I don't know if I want to go back then." Gear being drugs. Yes, speed. Um, Just making sure. Yeah. And um, so we convinced ourselves oh, only one night's all right. So that one night turned into another five years. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden I found myself hanging out with other clubs again, trying to find where I was fitting in, which later on you'll understand that a lot of guys from gang life they don't know where they fit in. They're looking for their identity because they have never had it. So I ended up joining another club and I rose up the ranks in that club really quick. Um, I was pretty much, what I said was what the club done. Um, And then ended up doing a lot of silly things again. But I'm just gonna go back a a step because this is really important for later on. Before I joined the club, I had this guy, dropping my name, calling me everything under the sun, and, it, and I'd come home from work, tired, looking for something to pick me back up, and and this friend of ours kept coming, oh, this guy's saying this, this guy's saying that, and, I, and one day I was in a real bad mood, and I said, really? I said, tell him we've got something for him. And so my partner and this other girl went, and um, I made it one came with me and he goes oh what do you want me to do and I said nothing I said unless someone jumps on me I said nothing and so we we sat on this main road in circles and we were down the alleyway and the girls were in the car and these two young guys come down looking at these two nice looking girls going oh look at this (laughs) and um they walked up to the car so I walked up I said, oh, which one of you is Corey? And he goes, oh, that's me. So boom, started smashing his face. And, and I was trying to, trying to get him into the car and he kept bouncing out. And I couldn't understand why he kept bouncing out. And because he was hitting the steering wheel, I had him at the wrong door. And then my knife fell out and my partner fixed it up and goes, baby, drop this. And, and I grabbed it and I just went, boom, stabbed him. And the girl that set it all up screamed, screamed the whole place down. And I kind of snapped out of it, what was going on. And then I went, I'm sure I stabbed him. And um, thought that I hadn't. And then as we drove off, he got up and his whole calf muscle just almost exploded. And, that, and he limped away. And then about six months after that, he rung me up. And he goes, oh, do we have a drama? And I said, no. And he goes, don't you think that was a bit excessive? And said, there's only a black and white side, you know, once you cross that line, you get what you get, like you shouldn't have been dropping my name. And so we left it at that, and then I got deeper into the drugs, ended up in another club, started running that club, which ended me up back in jail. Um, I got arrested for some pretty pretty full-on crimes. Um, Home invasion. Home invasion. A guy just about died. I actually stopped before, well, well, I hope I stopped it, that's why he's still alive today. Um, And it's just not right. So I ended up in jail. And um, just before I went to jail, So hard on the drugs, it was just unbelievable because I'd just given up. And um, I had this funny feeling I don't know if you've ever had it before like, I knew my relationship was over. Um, I knew I was going to lose everything before I went to jail. Like, I had death threats before I even went to jail that they were going to get me in jail. You know, they put 500 strips, which are stubby strips, they use in jail. Should probably about, worth about 150 bucks a strip they put 500 on my head in jail and so sorry and is they
0: being the club that you were a part of before you went to prison yeah okay, so yeah. you had sort of left them when you
1: went into prison well the, the reason I, the way I left the club was why they. I heard a rumour they were kicking me out so I took I cut my colours off my vest and I burnt them and I said well you want them come get them um Two years prior, before I went to jail, but they couldn't come to me. They threatened me when I went to jail. So back back in that day, in those days, like when I heard heard the threat, I said, "I'll come to your houses. Like I know exactly where you live. You know, like I didn't really care too much about what I was doing. You know, you threatened my family, my house. I'm going to come to your house." And that was the end of the story. Like there was no, you know, to me, them threatening me when I go to jail was a gutless, coward's way of trying to get me.
0: And all of this stuff along the journey, all of this stuff is re- normal. Right? The, the threats and hurting each other and, and drug—that's been in your life from since a child. So along the way, a lot of this stuff has just been—that's life, right?
1: Yeah. Ever ever since we were kids, we were we were shown just to deal with it. Um, you know, even even. When we were kids, we, we we used to fight each other to go up ranks on the street. Um, everything, like, that was just a normal life for us. Like, some, some people will get this and some people won't. But I just want you to understand that there's so many different ways you grow up. There's so many different lifestyles. <clears throat> um, and that, that, that lifestyle was normal to me. So I, I had a normal life. I grew up because I, that's the way I grew up it was normal um, so prior, prior to going to jail um, I, I offered to split up with my partner until I came out of jail and she, she refused because I thought that was the right thing to do so I got sentenced four and a half years 15 months on the bottom and um, a friend of mine came in to the waiting room at the court just before I got sentenced and, and gave me these pills and said you're going to need these to sleep and she gave they gave me six cereals um, and I went where am I going to put those <laughs> and I went well not shelving nothing but you don't want to know what that means so I just thought you know what boom I took the whole six and I go up with a can of E and I thought I'm done anyway so as far as I knew as far as I was concerned, I was done. My life was going to end in jail. That was the threat. That was the real threat. And I'd either, even had dreams about it. So I'm sitting there, getting sentenced, thinking, I oh, hope they hurry up. because I started getting woozy. Hurry up to sentence me so I can go down to the cell. And um, I didn't really see anybody else in the courtroom, apart from the judge, which I didn't really like. And then... The, the bailiff come up with handcuffs on me and I said sweet take me down the cells and he's going really? And I said yeah you don't even have to handcuff me let's go so they took me down and the officer downstairs goes have you ever thought about committing suicide? And I said I already have and they're going what? And I said I already have it. you don't understand and so this is on a Wednesday I got sentenced and they put me into a cell into this gown thing and I remember a light in my eyes I don't know what day it was and I woke up Friday thinking well what just happened and then ended up in the hospital Um, and from there on my mental health just went downhill I couldn't talk to people I couldn't understand I didn't want to be around people all I could see myself looking for was a way out and to finish the job so they took me up into a jail, and that, and they put me into like um like a cycle, and that, and they said, and they ended up putting us and sending us to different jails, different areas, um, and that, and all all I can remember is my partner made an appointment to come and see me, and didn't even bother turning up and I just went everything's coming true like I even knew she was sleeping with my best mate before I even got told it so so I started thinking of different ways just just to end my life and like in a gown in a room with nothing there's not really much you can do so I started ramming my head against the wall um just trying to hurt myself any way I could. Um and um started eh yeah, I, I kinda came right a little bit in a little bit of time because in my head I couldn't do the job and and the DU or in a DU cell because there's nothing there to do it so I thought if I could get into a unit I could get some subby and I'll just do it that way end my life that way so I pretended to be all good (laughs) and um, got shipped to Woodford got put into a unit in Woodford (sighs) with every excuse the language with every scumbag that you could ever think of (laughs) was in that unit and all of a sudden I just, I just started seeing different things I was, there's jail units of two levels, you're upstairs, downstairs and I was upstairs and I could see people walking past my window and I was going who's that and then death threats started coming through the jail system and I went you guys aren't even going to touch me mate, like I'm telling you right now I'll take my life before anybody any one of you will take me and then I remember just before I went to sleep, I looked in the mirror and I went, "Who are you?" I didn't even know who was in the mirror, and um, and the sights come up, and 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 I was talking to the mirror, asking who you were, and then they put me back into um, a padded room actually, and um. And they just yeah the threat through Intel and everything came through about the strips on my head, and um, they signed me over into into a protection unit, which made my mental health even go worse, and so I didn't want to live even more. And then so I was in I was in this mental health unit for about three weeks, and um. Three three times my partner was meant to come up and visit me, and never showed up, never showed up and then the last the last week before I got moved from Woodford, she turned up and um and and I knew she was lying to me, which is the hardest thing sorry, it's just chase, <laughs> um which was the hardest thing, but I loved her, I was married to her, you know, so i couldn't I couldn't. It was just hard, like I couldn't do anything. And then I looked at her arms and she had needle needle marks in her arms. And that, and I just went, look at your arms. And she goes, would you shut up? And I said, no, look at your arms. And she goes, oh, you've been in here for a while, don't you want to have a look, a look at my body? And I went, no. So I got up and walked out of the uh, visit. And then I knew... I knew then that that's all I wanted. There was no light at the end of my tunnel. I just, I just wanted to die. So they put me down into Wolfston Park, where that's a mental, mental institute, and I stayed in there. Oh, well, I wouldn't actually go in there. I went into a DU unit with an outdoor shower, no TV, no nothing. And I started running towards the wall, hitting my head into the wall, looking at bolts that were in there to wrap my gown up to hang myself. And, um, and the officers in, in there were, were trying to get me to ring my mum, you know. And I said, nah. I, said I, I I want a chaplain. And they go, oh, okay, what do you want a chaplain for? And I said, I don't know. I just want a chaplain. Because um, I heard one of the other guys talking to me. And so... I was there one day training talking to myself trying to find reasons to live like my children weren't even in that category of wanting to live I thought they'd be better off without me um and so and all of a sudden I started talking to God and I said right if you're real I want my family back and um so I was training, training, and I had a vision which I'm not going to go into. But I've seen it every day for like 30 days. The exact same thing. And so I, I was, every day I was training and I was going through this vision. And and i was still talking to God, going, "Where's my family? You know, I've prayed to you. I got down on my knees in the cell and I prayed to you and I asked you for one thing to bring my family back to me." And you can't even do that. So I started arguing with him. And that, and um, all of a sudden, I was, I was halfway doing a lap to do, do my push-ups. And I just burst into tears. I cried that hard. I don't even remember ever crying that hard. And I couldn't understand why I was crying. And then I turned to God and I said, you're so fake. You're not even real. Like, I asked for my family and you couldn't even bring my family back which is, later on, is the hardest thing to have to apologise for. (laughs) And then six months went by and I was still in the same cell in the DU and um, I actually really loved it because I started... without realising it, I was talking to God more every day without even realising what was going on. And then all of a sudden, I had three chaplains come and see me in the one day one was a Catholic. I don't know the other one, and another guy was just like an ex-crim that had come to Christ. And I asked, I had this funny thing come in my head. I said, Right, everyone that came, I said, Where do Muslims come from? And the Catholic goes, oh, I can't really talk to you about that. And I went, hmm. I can't really talk to you then. See you later. And that, and none of them wanted to talk. And then this last chaplain that came in, Teru's all up his arms and that. like, Just to give you an image of where we were, we're in a DU unit where there's a hole in the door about that big. That's all you get to talk through. So when the chaplain comes in, he's got to sit outside. you got to sit on the ground so you can see him. And that's all you get. You don't get contact. You don't get nothing, nothing like that. And this guy... And and the question never came up into my mind, and and I was talking to this guy, and he's telling me about a son, who was in the same doing the same thing in the drug world, and he's in the mental health unit, and and um. And I said, wow, I said, how long have you been, how how long have you been a chaplain for, and do do you read the Bible every day? And he goes, I've never read a word in the Bible ever, and I went, what? But he knew things that I'm reading today just like that and um, so I started I started talking to him and praying with him he prayed for me put his hand through the hole which he wasn't meant to do put his hand on my head and 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 it kind of took me back to when I was a kid with my grandparents and um, and and we actually started praying and I had to apologise to God for arguing with him and and telling him that he wasn't even real which was a lot harder than what it sounds. So <clears throat> I finally started getting better and wanted to go into a unit and my sister, she started coming up and visiting me and I thought, you know what, I can do this. And so I started getting better and better and better, getting visits every weekend and, that, and then all of a sudden, boom, they got me up into the office, put me into a single cell in the office. Um, and turned around and said, oh, you've just got to stay here for a couple of days because we're out of room. And I said, oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden my stuff's turning up and they're shipping me to Maryborough. And I went, I'm not going to Maryborough. And they're going, yeah, you are. I said, watch this. Oh, no way I'm not. So I ran, boom, smashed my head against, knocked myself out in the cell. And, that, and so they had to put me back into the DU unit. And that, and... So I had to start all over again, and then they tried to trick me to send me back to Maryborough again, and I went, this is a game. So it turned into a big game, and so as they were shutting the door, I put my hand in the door, so they slammed my hand in the door, and then I started headabutting it and tried to hit the screws to cut myself open, and so they'd have to lock me and put me back in the DU. So this went on for about another two months. And then I finally went into a unit and I was sitting there and they called me down for a a review for my mental health and I still hadn't spoken to my mum. And I think it was Easter and I got a visit from my sister and I was just having a real hard time, like I wouldn't come out of my cell, I didn't want to. And my sister would come and see me on Easter and she went home and... Told mum, she goes, I don't think we're going to see him again. And, um which I didn't realize, find out until later on. And then they called me down the office and I had six guards stand around me, two in front of me, and they were all laughing, going, Haha, put your hands up, you're going to Maryborough today. No ifs, no buts, you're getting on that truck. And I went, sweet, let's do it. And why
0: didn't you want to go to
1: Maryborough? Was so too far away, or because because I just started getting visits from my sister, and and for her to go from Gold Coast to Brisbane, and then all of a sudden take me away. You know, I just started feeling like I, I wanted to come back home to my family. They um it felt like they were just taking everything away, you know. So I thought I thought the guards were with, you know, planning on on getting me, um and then all of a sudden I just gave up and I just went, take me, put me in there they shackled me into this van and I remember sitting there and and, that, and I looked at the ground from Brisbane all the way to Maryborough just, and saying repeatedly in my head I don't belong to this world I belong to you and I was talking to God and, and I, it just felt like half an hour we were in Maryborough and um, all of a sudden I get all these guards coming to get me out and I'm just going, wow why, why am I so popular? And, that, and they put me into another cell. And they go, all right, we're going to have dramas with you. And I said, no. Nah. And they go, we heard we're going to have dramas with you. And I said, no, you are not going to have dramas with me. I'll tell you that right now. I said, there's no way I'd hurt anybody else. I will hurt myself before I hurt anyone else. And so I believe that at the time, all I could see, all I wanted to do was be with God. So the only way I could do that was to kill myself. So my whole mission from there on in was to kill myself. And it got worse and worse because I wanted to be with God. So they put me into another psych unit and they doubled me up with a guy um, who was a self-harmer as well. And like when I mean self-harmer, he had cut marks up through here, like the Joker, and um, and he'd cut himself with a razor blade that he found um, just to get their attention. And then he had six 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 all over him, like full-on devil worshipper. And, I, and I'm in this in this uh, double unit cell with him, and he goes, "Oh, what are you in here for?" And I said. I said, I believe in God, and that's where I want to go. And he goes, I believe in the devil, and I believe in your God too. And I went, cool. So we actually started talking, and he's telling me about his self-harming, trying to stop me from self-harming myself. And he goes, it's, it's so addictive. He goes, you, you need to stop now. So he started telling me bits about how he, how he self-harmed himself by cutting himself through the cheeks. How um, he had razor blades, and he stuck them down the eye of his manly thing, and split it. So now when he goes to the toilet, he's got to put a condom on with his thing to go to the toilet, or else it just goes everywhere. How he cut his foot open, started pulling the bones out, and I just went, wow. And um, and I just went. I don't even want to be in here, I want to go home. So that he actually turned me around by telling me what he had done and then looking at myself, thinking I'm in here with a devil worshipper, I'm believing in God, and I'm wanting to go to God. But now I've seen I don't want to die to go to God. So I finally got into a unit with a lot of lifers, one one lifer who helped turn my life around as well. He'd been in there thirty two years. And, and and he pulled me aside into his cell once I got in there and he goes, Listen, he goes, I've heard all about you, I know who you are. He goes, I just want you to simplify things in your life. I said, What do you mean? And he goes, What have you got in your life? And I said, I got I got my kids. He goes, cool, put your hands out. So I held my hands out. He goes, put your kids in that hand and put jail in the other hand. And he goes, what do you want? I said, my kids. And he goes, it's that simple. And I went, well, why are you in here for your life? And he goes, because I couldn't simplify my life like that, so I'm in here for the rest of my life. So in a way, like, once I got into a unit and he told me that, I started simplifying everything in my life. What did I want? I wanted to be with God. But now I didn't want to die to be with God. I actually wanted to live to be with God, if, if, if that makes any sense. Um, so I turned around and, and I started praying with a couple of guys there. I'd go out to the yard by myself with my Bible talking to God and asking for God for my kids you know I hadn't heard from my kids for nine months I hadn't heard from anyone all I knew that my best friend was with my wife and yeah so I just kept praying praying for my kids Now at this stage was there still
0: death threats and things coming for your life from the outside gang members was that still taking place?
1: Yeah it still takes place today um I don't think that's ever going to stop, <laughs> but, what I, what I didn't realise, um, I sat there one day and, and, and I had this thing come up into my head, bring child services about your kids, so I rang them from the jail phone and I said, listen, I don't know what's going on, I haven't heard nothing for over nine months, but I just had this feeling to ring you about my kids. So I gave them my kids' names. And that, and they said, OK, cool, we'll make an appointment to ring you through the jail. And I said, yeah, OK. And a, a guy that I was training with in there turned around and goes, have you spoken to your mum? And I said, no. Ring your mum. And I said, what? we we, we done Bible studies and that together. And I said, I don't know what to say. Like, it'd been that long... What was, what was I meant to say? Hey Mom, sorry I haven't rung you. And so I sat there for half the day and then I decided to ring her and, and then she just cried. <laughs> yeah, so it was a lot harder than I thought. And um, But I, I rung her every day from that day on, and I said, oh, I've rung child services about the kids, have you heard about them? And she goes, no. Um, she goes, they took everything out of your shed, they took everything to value, um, I didn't know what to do. And I said, oh, it's all good. And then... I said, I'll give you a ring tomorrow, and she goes, yeah, okay, cool. And then during the day, I got called up to the office for a phone call from Child Services. And this is like directly the next day. And I'd been, we'd been praying about my kids. And um, they, they they rung up and they said, have you got anywhere for your kids to go? And I said, what do you mean? What's going on? And they go, we're pretty sure we're going to take them off their mother. And I said, take them to my mum's. And they go, OK. So I re- shot back to the unit, rung my mum, said, Mum, child service is going to ring you. They're going to drop the kids off to you, I think. And she goes, oh, OK. And I said, I'll ring you back after dinner, just before lockdown. And um, <clears throat> And I, and I, and I kind of got started getting really excited, thinking, oh, I'm going to get to talk to my kids. But then I started getting scared. What's happened to them? Why are they getting taken off here? Like, their mum was a really good mum. Like, what's going on? And um, so I rung back just at dinner time. She goes, you're going to have to ring me back tomorrow. Child services are on their way here with the kids. I went, oh, shit. And so I had to hang up because they turned up. And, and my mate comes down, who we were doing Bible studies with, and goes, what's wrong? And I said, I think I've just seen a miracle without even seeing it. He goes, what do you mean? I said, my kids are on their way to their mums, you know, and I only run Child Services the day before. And he go, and he just sat there, and he goes, see, God does so many things without you even realising what. If you think back from the day you got arrested to the day you're standing here talking to your mum and dad on the phone, and look at the little things that you haven't realised, and then so. It was the weirdest thing, seeing a miracle without even seeing it. <laughs> um, and then I realised, even in the DU, I was getting extra meals. They didn't have to give me extra meals, but they were giving me extra meals to try and get me fit and healthy. You know, Even the training, I didn't know why I was training. I just wanted to die, but I was training to die. But I wasn't. I was training to get healthy. Um, so that, that was a massive turning point for me to go home. That, that was everything, like knowing that the kids were at my mum's. Now I needed to go home. And that's, that's when I started seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so I, I started getting right into the Bible. I couldn't really read. <coughs> so I had to sit there and, at night and teach myself to read. Um, I still can't pronounce most of the words in, in the Bible but I will get close to it when I hear Ben say it I think M- most oh, that's of us can pronounce half the words in the Bible <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah my whole my whole life turned around and and the next day I was so nervous because I knew the kids were going to be there and I was allowed to speak to them and um, I think it was Shalice and she just burst into tears and I think that's all we've done for <laughs> the whole phone call and I just said that I love you, you know. Yeah, you're safe now with Grandma, with Gemma. And I said, I'll ring you every day, no matter what. If I can get to a phone, I'll ring you every day. I'll never, ever not ring you. And apart from two times when the whole jail was locked down, every day I rung them, you know. And even when I got out of jail and I wasn't living with them, every day I rung them. That was my promise to them. so, the next weird thing that happened in jail was that a guy came in, um, and he he was an alright guy, we spoke a couple of times, trained, started training with us, started coming to Bible studies, and then they started doubling people up in the units, and, um, they said, oh, you're going to have to double up with this guy and I said, oh, okay, cool and just before we got doubled up he come out to the yard and he goes I need to tell you something and I said, yeah, what's that? and he goes, I'm an ex cop and I went, cool and he goes, it doesn't bother you and I said, really doesn't mean nothing to me anymore and he goes, okay, cool I just didn't want people telling you before I did and I said, no, not, not my business um so we got doubled up together. Half the unit turned around and started giving me shit about doubling up with a cop. And and and, and I and I kinda just come to the realisation is that's his job. That was his job. I don't know what he's done to get in here. And I pro- I still don't today, I never asked. It's just something you never really asked in jail, like, well, why are you in here? Why? What do you want to know for? So I actually started talking to him and, that, and I had parole coming up and he goes, I'll give you a handle of parole. And I said, "You're yeah, cool. And he goes, okay, he asked me a few questions. I told him and he wrote it down. And, that, and, he, and he helped me get all the paperwork because I couldn't spell or read that great. And and he filled it all out for me. And then I, sat, well, I put it into the parole. And everybody's going, nah, you're not going to get parole. Your your crimes are too violent for the first time, they I'll keep you in until next time. And I was just sitting there going, nah, I've got to get back to my kids. So we started praying about it and that. And um, there's one parole guard that used to come up, and he always brought bad news. He loved it. Like he'd turn around and go, you didn't get parole, and these guys are trying to jump and punch him in the head. And he's sitting there laughing. He just loved giving bad news. And, and we're in the yard, and, he, and I seen him coming, and I was going, Oh no, I hope it's, hope it's not my name. He calls out. <laughs> sure enough, he calls my name out. And I went, And he comes out, and he goes, You know what? And he goes, I've read your, read your court files, I've read your parole thing, and you haven't even, every word you've said in your parole app is what you said in court. And he goes, So, I hate giving good news, but you're getting parole. I went, Really? he goes, yep. So I rung, rung up. This is just before Christmas. And I rung up mum and said, oh, mum, I'm coming home in, in February. And she goes, cool, do you want me to tell the kids? And I said, no, nah. I'm going to ring up Christmas Day and I'll tell the kids on Christmas Day. And that was probably the best Christmas I think I've ever had. Ringing the kids up and they're on the phone and I said, guess what? I've got a present for you. And they go, what? And I said, I'm coming home. And everybody just cried. <laughs> so I just trained hard got into the book got into the word and everything and then I finally got to come home and um, so we drove from my sister come and picked me up and we drove from Maryborough straight down to child services in Narang um, and I sat there and I said okay I want to see my kids and they brought the kids in and it was just an hour of hugging and crying. And um, <clears throat> and then, yeah, asked them what I had to do. I'll do whatever you want. And then I got parole to my sisters, and then I bumped into a couple of people from the past. The next day I walked into the shops and um, went to shake my hand, and he, boom, put it out half a ball of, of ice in my hand. He goes, oh, welcome back. And I looked at it, and I handed it back and said, no. I said, don't ever do that to me again. He goes, oh, but I owe you money. And I said, I don't want your money. And he goes, oh. And then it, the language he was li- using was real, real, to me, was really offensive to me. And that, and and, he, and this is in the middle of the shops, and I turned around and I said, listen, if you don't get away from me, I'm going to hurt you right now. Get the fuck away from me. sorry about that language and um and and he just looked in shock and walked away, and he goes, "You got soft," and I went, hmm, maybe I did, so I kind of struggled with that, and then having to go to parole and going out to where people were because everything I'd done was here on the coast, and I got parole back on the coast. So every enemy that I've got is here on the coast, which is just great. (laughs) Um. So I I actually shut down quite a bit, and, and I couldn't go out my front door. You know, I had to talk myself up to go out the front door. So I'd sit there. I'd get up at five in the morning, and I'd read two two verse two chapters of the Bible. And then I'd sit there and I'd read a daily devotional. And then I'd sit there and I'd pray. And I'd say, okay, I need strength. I've got to go to parole. I've got to go. I've got to go to the gym. I've got to start doing something. And, and by the time I'd finished, it'd be like 11.30. It started at 5 in the morning to 11.30. And then I'd finally get out the door. And I'd go and do what I had to do. And then I'd come straight home and lock the door. So, and that was my life for the first few months and then all of a sudden I was allowed to see the kids down at Narang Roosters so I thought cool we'd go to the Narang Roosters we'd walk around the whole field you know four or five times and we'd start training that way and I started feeling a bit better and then all of a sudden boom the lockdown started coronavirus and I went so I started going to the DC Dream Center Church and um which is I walked in there and I seen this 15-year-old girl who I knew her mum and she's standing at this church and she looks at me and she waves and I went, hey, what are you doing? And she goes, good. And she came up and gave me a hug and, that, and I said, oh, I have mum. She goes, oh, she's struggling. I said, oh, that's sad. Um, I said, I'm really proud that you're here, you know, you're here on your own. And, um, and she goes, yeah, and then she was really shy and just disappeared. And then this other lady come up, who I used to know from a church years ago that I went to, turned around, and her daughter used to go out with a friend of mine, and she said, she turned around and she turned around and goes, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, come to come to church. And she goes, "You start your shit here. I'm telling you right now, I'm getting you kicked out of this church." I went, "What did I do? After what you done to my daughter?" And I said, "Hang on, I never done nothing." And She goes, "After what you done to her, and what you done to your partner Sarah, how you? you this is all your fault." So I got blamed for every little thing that I was in jail, but it was still my fault. And I kind of went, "Well." Are you testing me? Do I stay? Do I go? And I went, no. Nah. So I stayed. Went back a couple of times and then she wanted to be my friend and, and I just went, this is not, this is not what I thought church was like. And so I walked out and then we all got locked down so I just started doing what I'd done in jail. I started reading the Bible at home. I started doing everything at home on my own. And as the lockdown carried on and everything, um, the kids started staying over once a week and I and they go, Oh Dad, what are we gonna do? And I said, Let's go and see what churches are open. Oh, okay. So we drove around everywhere and lo and behold, we come down the road here and Jesus standing there going, Come in, come in We're going Let's do it. So we walked in not only did we walk in, we said it right at the front row <laughs>
0: now that that was actually an incredibly powerful moment for me because it was an awkward I was preaching, it was very quiet, it was very awkward. You walked in, you walked to the very front with your kids, and you sat in the very front row, yeah, and do you remember what you said to me when we did communion together? Do you remember what you told me you wanted i said what what do you want from here? Do you remember what you told me no <laughs> You said, I, I just want to know about Jesus. I mm. just want Jesus. And for, for me, for, to, to watch a family walk, knowing that you know, it's not hidden that you've had a, a wild past, but to know that the one thing I want, I don't care anything else, I just want him. Mm. I just want to know Jesus.
1: And I still do. <laughs> <laughs> um
0: Just tell us a story I think uh, is quite powerful as well. Just tell us what happened when you went to Glow that night.
1: Yeah, I was getting to that. That's why I told it. A friend of mine, Mike Barrett, invited me down to Glow Church. And so I went down there and um, finished the service. We come out and we're standing there talking. And he's got two guys came up to us. And um, shook their hands, hey, how's it going? And I said, oh, I'm Sven. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. And I said, oh, OK. And he goes, you don't remember me? And I said, nah. And I said, is it in a good way or a bad way? And he goes, well, he touched me up. And I said, oh, really? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, oh, my name's Corey. And I went, hey, how's it going? And he said, Cause my memory is not that really that crash hot. And I didn't really think too much of it. And i was thinking, Corey, I don't even remember your face, nothing. And so I went away, and that, and all that week, I was sitting there going, "Why did I ask for forgiveness?" You know. So I was sitting there, and I was going all week. Man, I should have asked him for forgiveness. And, and I couldn't wait to get back there the next Sunday night just to see him. Who, who was he? Well, I realized just before the Sunday on who this guy was he's the Corey that I stabbed and so I got to church and I couldn't see him and I was standing there and I was going man I missed my chance and then we were just about to leave and I get this tap on the shoulder and he goes hey how's it going I went I need to talk to you right now and he goes whoa, whoa what have I done and I said no 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 I need to talk to you and so we went into a room and I just said listen I don't know how this is gonna go but I really need to ask for your forgiveness. And he goes, Brother, he goes I've been you've you forgiven so long ago, I've been praying for you to come to church and you're standing here right before me. And then he started crying and he goes, You're forgiven ages ago And I just said, You're probably the biggest man I think I've ever known to turn around and for me who stabbed you and you still limp today to sit there and give me a hug. And say that you've been praying for me ever since. That was five years. Five years you've been praying for me. And that was that was probably the one of the biggest moments that God has revealed to me on what forgiveness is. And, um,
0: and there's there's tons of stories that Sven has that he's revealed while we've been talking and things that he's shown even since then that God is using him in amazing ways you know, and places that for most of us we can never get to and for me it, it highlights the importance of, of who God who Sven is to God you know, he's calling him he's drawing him all the time deeper and deeper and just before we add, th- there are so many stories you know, so I, I want to encourage you a part of community and what we want to build in this is get to know these guys Get to know the person you're sitting next to. Ask them. Where have you come from? Who, who, If you don't know what to ask, ask them who is Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? But before we wrap up, where are you now? Where, what's the family situation? Where are you? What is, who is Sven today?
1: Well, th- thanks to a few people like yourself, Ben. Jess. Coco <laughs> um like there there's there's been a couple of real key factors that have brought me to where I am right now today and, and Mick bolan from the exit program, who actually used to chase me to arrest me, turns around and offers me a course to come back into into the society um And it's just funny how God works and puts these people around you. Like I never thought that I would sit there and and go, okay, cool, I'll do a course. And and the mental health people that they had there turned my mental health around and only because he was a believer in Christ as well. And so we went through scripture and scripture to make me realise what was going on, which turned my life around. And then people like Andre who i invited here today at the gym come up and talk to me like i'm a normal person marcus you know like my partner now alicia um and now it's given me the strength to walk forward and now we've got a house now i've got my kids back you know now i'm back on getting back on track and it's just amazing what god does And how he places people around you. Like Matt coming to the house when I thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't know he was a paramedic. (laughs) Hello, he's right there (laughs) standing in front of me. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's just, you know, like I stand stand there praying this morning outside and and it's so simple but I come to the conclusion there's so many road barriers that get put in front of you but we have to realise that Jesus has already beaten me. And, and, and all of a sudden today it clicked and I kind of went, what am I worried about? You know? I still make mistakes and I still struggle every day. It's not, it's not a quick fix like every day I struggle up here. I bump into enemies. I've had enemies threaten my mum, my kids. And the old me comes back going, where's my bat? I'm going to go and sort this guy out. But then I've had people like Pete, Marcus, and Ben turn around and go, listen, you don't live that life anymore. You know, you you fight your battles in a different way. And that was another miracle. Like, bang, and then the sky's gone. Um, But I, I get threats every day. I walk around. A lot of people... look at me and my shirts that we wear and they kind of turn their nose up at me. But a lot of people go, oh, you're the guy in the rain that walks around with the Jesus shirts on. I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, that's awesome. And I said, I don't even know who you are. (laughs) But, you know, it just shows you how powerful the name of Jesus is. Like, it changes lives and it changed my life. You know, and I just want to... Serve him better and better every day, like. But but you're gonna, you, like I've made mistakes, and I'll probably make more mistakes. But you know, he's the only he's the only true one that's going to be there. That won't lie to you, and he'll always be there for me. But, yeah, mate, I want to
0: commend you in the way that Sven has had more than enough reasons to run, more than enough reasons to throw stuff away and. We get to meet and every week and just go through scriptures and you read sensationally, by the way. Um, but watching his resolve through things that I couldn't even begin to fathom. You know, like he's messaged and asked, can you pray for us? And I'm like, jeepers, that, that's not even close to my radar, what he's going through, things that are happening. But the resolve to push through and to keep going to me is Amazing. And I just want to commend you, bro. Well done. Mm. Well done for keeping your eyes on him, for walking and refusing to uh, walk away from where God is calling you. He is always calling you and he has been calling you. One of the things you said to me was that all through your life you've seen God's hand mm. guiding you and guiding you. And it's incredible that you have finally chosen to to listen and to hold that line. So well done. And thank you for having the courage, man, to share some of the stuff that you've had, it's not easy to have to go back through some of the pains and hurts in your life, thought, well done. No,
1: it's, it's my pleasure. Like, I just hope I just hope that everyone could just go away from here and just realize that people live different lives, and and if you're struggling at the moment, there there is a light or you, there is a way, and that's and that's Jesus, you know. Like, and all glory is to God. It's not not to any of us. It's all to God.
0: Yeah. Svenny, if you want to come and lay hands on on him, you can, or if you just want to reach your hands up. Let's just pray for Svenny before we go.